0: We need the truth of God before we can ever understand what the righteousness of God is. Without the truth, you'll never know how to be righteous. You'll never know that you could be righteous. You'd have to have that truth to link you to the breastplate of righteousness. But when God made everything, when God God first began creation, He didn't mess up. Everything was perfect. Perfect, not just in the fact that it, that the word perfect means complete, but not just complete, but it was good in his sight. When he created it, he said, and it was good. When he created man, he said it was good. Everything was good. It was perfect. Everything was just right. The earth was perfect. The animals were perfect. And even man himself was perfect. Perfect, entire, wanting nothing, in need of nothing. He was perfect and good in the sight of God. Adam's righteousness was merged into the character, into the person that God created. Get this, he didn't need a Bible or a law. He was righteous when he was created. Nothing about him was flawed. He was perfect in every single way. God could come down and walk with him in the cool of the garden and, and and fellowship with him. He didn't have to be blinded or hid in the cleft of a rock and see his hind parts. He could look God in the face and see him as he was. His perfection was perfect. God, there was no flaw in his character. God made him so good that God said, let's make man in our image. He, not only was he perfect internally, but he was a reflection of God. God on the outside. He looked like God in the on the outside. He was he was made flawless and perfect. No one had to expound to to Adam the doctrine of justification or the doctrine of salvation. He did not need to be saved. He was born in a place of salvation. He didn't have to understand what it means to live a righteous life. He was created in righteousness. It wasn't until man fell that he understood what sin was. I mean, think about the innocence of Adam. Him and his wife walked around the garden naked all day long, not even realizing they were naked. That kind of innocence only a toddler understands. I've seen little toddlers running through the church butt naked. You know, little white tushy running through and they don't care. They don't care because they're innocent in their heart. They don't see nakedness or or ungodliness. And and they don't see it the way sin causes man to see things. And, And so... God the most saddest words in the Bible is the words that were the scripture says in Genesis and their eyes were opened after they partook of the fruit they were not supposed to partake of saddest words in the Bible their eyes were not open and they didn't become more enlightened they didn't become like God their eyes were open to sin ungodliness, and, and shame were once innocence and righteousness and holiness and sanctification abided in the heart of Adam all of the sudden And now sin was a dominant force in his life. They had to hide themselves. When God would come down from the cool of the garden, they didn't have to hide when they had no shame. But now there was shame and they hid themselves. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings because they realized they were naked. The innocence of man was gone. and, And God said, who told you you were naked? How did you come to this? Sin had brought man to a place where God no longer could fellowship with man. One great man said that you'll never know the height of salvation until you understand the depth of the fall. Because how high is salvation? How high is it? The moral code of God demands retribution for sin, and sin is a horrific. Dominant force today in our society. From the time that Adam fell, sin progressively got worse and worse. From Adam, it went into his son Cain. And Cain rose up and killed Abel. From there, it went into Lamech. And Lamech boasted about murdering a man and had two wives. and, And it got so bad that in Genesis 6, God said, My spirit will not always strive with man. God said that. God said, I can't deal with man's sin. He limited man's years to 120 years. He limited man on the earth. Because I can tell you, God don't want to put up with you for too long. <laughs> 900 years of constant bombardment of sin and ungodliness. God said, we're not going to put up with that for 900 years. We're going to put an end to that at 120. We're going to cap the age. So that way sin will be Death will stop sin in the land. Adam's sin took away all the innocence from him. Adam fell and the earth became corrupted. Everything lost lost its allure to God. Weeds and thistles and began to grow when the earth used to be watered naturally and used to produce fruit naturally all of a sudden man has to till the ground and plant and strive and work hard so he can actually eat and survive and women women used to give eve would give birth without pain or without problems or complications she didn't need an epidural or any of those things she didn't need a doctor none of that thing none of those things were necessary before the fall but when the fall came it corrupted even the birthing process of humanity, the earth was corrupted, animals were corrupted, and not no longer did they did they uh, did they follow the dominion of man, or or even respect the dominion of man. All of this is all a result of the fall. Baby abnormalities and sickness and disease and everything that you see that is corrupted on this earth traces back to one fault and one sin, and that is the sin in the garden. Garden of Eden and today you and I you and I suffer because of one man's sin like, Oh, praise be to Jesus can I talk about Jesus is it all right because the first Adam failed but we talk about a man we call him the second Adam how many ever heard that term the second Adam his name is Yeshua his name is Jesus Oh, John said there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. Oh, someone say amen to that. Whose shoes I'm not even worthy to touch it and latch. He, I baptize you in water, but he's gonna baptize you in the fire, in, in the Holy Ghost and fire. Oh, I'm so thankful that there's a second Adam. There's somebody who can stand in that gap for you and I. You and I were lost and undone. We were born into sin. Every single one of us. There's not a person born on this earth except for Jesus Christ who was born righteous and perfect and entire, wanting, needing, nothing. Jesus was the only one who was born in a place of perfection. But you and I were born and flawed. We need the second Adam. We need Jesus Christ. We need the death, burial, and resurrection. Do you realize that as your pastor now, over these ten years, I've been preaching the same message almost every almost every Sunday. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He's everly ever living, making intercession for you and I. Do you do you understand? The old message is still good. Do you understand that the message needs to be said time and time and time again? That He is not dead, but He is risen. He was the substitutionary death of our sin. He took my place. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement of my peace was upon Him. That righteousness, that Comes through Christ and Christ alone. I can't take it myself. Listen, men have tried to be righteous by themselves, and you can't do it. You cannot do it. Isaiah said that our righteousness is like filthy rags, and I and forgive me for sounding Gross, but the Bible is specific because he's talking when it uses the word filthy rags, it's a reference to a rag that a woman would use during the course of her menstrual cycle. That's how disgusting that the God sees the effort of our own righteousness. It's it's detestable to him, it's ungodly. Or we could never achieve a righteousness that would bring us to a place where God would look at us and say, Good job. We can never attain it. It's like filthy rags. And so we need something else. We need something more. Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. Now think about it. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were pretty righteous when you looked at them. They followed every tenet of the law. They dotted their I's and crossed their T's. They they were the people who lived godly lives that knew right from wrong. But Jesus said it's got to be deeper than that. You see, coming to church doesn't make you righteous, but righteous people come to church. Come on now. Paying your tithes doesn't earn you a righteous ticket, but righteous people pay their tithes. Witnessing to people doesn't make you righteous, but righteous people witness to people. You see, righteousness is not something you can do and earn. You can't get it because of your nationality. If you were Jewish this morning, it doesn't matter. If you're a Jew this morning, it doesn't make you more righteous than the Greek. It's not because of of your bloodline or or who you grew up with or because somebody else in your family. Just because your family members serve God doesn't mean that you get it. Just because your father's distant fathers was Abraham or Moses doesn't give you a right to be in. You can't get it by birthright. You can't get it by nationality. And you can't get it because you've earned it. Because you stamped a church time card or you're a member of a church. Righteousness does not come by any merit that you can do. You can't do it. Now the Bible says in these passages of scripture the Bible gives six weapons of our warfare. The one is truth, and the second we're dealing with is the breastplate of righteousness. The third one is the gospel of peace. But note in this text that the first three says this. It says, having the, 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 the belt of truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace and the last three it says take up the shield of faith take up the helmet of salvation take up the sword of the spirit the reason why the difference is is because you can take up some things there's an effort on your part but when it comes to righteousness it has more to do with who you're associated with than what you can do and what you can accomplish so it's not, it's not something you take up. You don't take up righteousness by yourself. Righteousness is a gift from God. You, are, you have to be declared righteous. Declared. I, and that, gives, that brings me to my first point. I want to talk to you about the imputed righteousness. Righteousness that is imputed unto you. That word imputed means it is given. It is, it is distributed to you. You, you. you don't get it because you come to church. But righteous people come to church and people have learned that they can come to church and seem to be righteous. There's a, there's a charade that can be played. There's a, there's a show that can go on. There's a, there's a talent expo, and it's in almost every church across America. And they come to church, they stamp the card and say, we're righteous. But do you realize that to be declared righteous demands a, for, a, a heart that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? You cannot be righteous because you come to church. Righteousness is not something you earn. It is something that is given to you. It is given to you. Having the breastplate of righteousness. You have to give God your sin and he gives you his righteousness. Hence the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be declared righteous is by your sins being forgiven. And there's only one way to get that to happen in your life. That is to repent of your sins. That is to make it right between you and God. No amount of coming to church will ever make it right. I'll never forget the story my pastor told me. He said he uh, one time was witnessing to a guy and he was an evangelist at the time. He traveled all all over the United States and and he would always visit this one church and minister there and he'd been preaching to this one guy for a long time and he would never come to church or any of the revivals and finally he started coming to church the man and and he was he was pretty excited about the fact that he was coming to church so he said to he said to my pastor when he came to visit and preach a revival my pastor went to his job to to see him and and uh, another man at the church worked there as well and And so he was visiting with them there at at, at the job and he said, you know what, John, I started going to church. And my pastor looked at him square in the eye and said, what good is that? You need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Who cares if you go to church? Oh, that man got so mad at my pastor. He was livid. I mean, he after pa- my pastor left there, the other church member told my pastor that night at revival, he was cussing you and he was, he was bad-mouthing you. He's like, that stupid evangelist, ah, blah, 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 just got angry and frustrated. But you know what that word did to that man? He realized that coming to church did not save him. He came to that revival. By the end of that revival, that man came to the front of the church and surrendered his heart and life to Jesus Christ and he understood clearly what the gospel was about. It's not about you coming to a religious gathering. It's about you being born again in your heart and in your mind and the reason why you want to come to church is you've been set free from sin. Delivered from sin. Declared righteous. Realize that that God has imputed righteousness on you. He has given it to you and it it's not something that you earn it is something you repent into and if you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins you are not saved my dear friend you can become religious but you need to ask Jesus to forgive you you need to ask him to forgive you of your hard stubborn heart don't look at me like you ain't got one because we all do That hard, stubborn heart. You need to ask Him to forgive you for running from Him. You need to ask Him to forgive you because in your heart and life you need to be transformed. And the only way to be transformed is by the righteousness of God. And when God's righteousness touches you, my dear friend, something happens on the inside of you. You cannot help it. That's why Paul said, behold, all things become new in Christ Jesus. You're a new creature in Christ. Jesus how how does that happen his righteousness comes on you never have you felt so good Christian you could testify right now you never felt so good in your life until you realize that everything was right between you and your creator that's when everything felt good that's when everything made sense that's when life began to really have meaning until then you were lost I don't want to come to church to come to church. I don't don't want to give to give. I I want to have him who makes life have meaning. I want to have him who has the way and the truth and the life. I'm telling you, anybody in here got life inside of you. Life that's produced from the righteousness that comes from God. Oh, today we need righteousness in the church We need a righteous people to arise and stand for righteousness. And the only way you can be righteous is by coming to God and asking Him to forgive you of all your sins. That's when things change in your heart. That's when things change. It's an imputed gift. It's something God gives you. Abraham was used by Paul to explain righteousness because Abraham was declared righteous before there was ever a law written. He was declared righteous because he obeyed the voice of God and he followed God. We call him the father of faith because he believed and followed God into a place. He became a nomad dwelling in a place looking for a city whose builder and whose foundation and builder was God. He wouldn't search of that place. He wanted to be where God was. And God counted it to him as a righteousness because He followed Him. That is, the, that is, the, that is the, how we as Christians become righteous. Not because we do A, B, C, and D. But because we have surrendered to Him who makes men righteous. He makes men righteous. He changes the course of a man's life. Have you ever been changed by Jesus? If you haven't been changed, I question whether you've ever been saved. Because there's a drastic change that comes into a man's heart. All of a sudden, the things he never desired before he desires again. You didn't desire to come to church, but when you got saved, boy, you wanted to be in church. You you didn't want to give in the tithes, and, and, and you didn't want to give to the church. But all of a sudden, man, I want to give to the church. Because I've, I've, got, I've been touched by the righteousness of God. Something transforms inside you. Your heart, and all of a sudden, you become something you never thought you could ever be. Even the sin that you used to want, you began to hate. You began to even hate the sins that you're still tempted with and tried with. You began to have this distaste for them. How does that happen? Righteousness, real, authentic, God given righteousness comes into the hearts of believers. And think about it, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll in no wise enter in. The Pharisees and the scribes had it down, my dear friend. But your righteousness goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than the superficial. It goes deeper than the physical. It goes into heaven's gates and comes down into a heart and a soul. A man can be righteous in the inside before his body will ever, ever catch up. Hmm. Matter of fact, I've seen people sit on the pew, still look like they came out of the world, but inside they were new creatures in Christ Jesus. There ain't, nothing, there ain't nothing like a new Christian. Matter of fact, I wish we could all go back to the same fire of new Christians. Wish you'd go back to where the fire was and just let it burn again. Because some of us can lose that fire and forget how wonderful it is to be a Christian. When a new person gets up from the altar, they have a new Christian smell on them. Amen. man, I like the smell of new Christians. They do something to the church. They change the dynamics of the church. They create an atmosphere in the body. They don't understand it. But you realize they've been looking across the church and they see you raise your hands and praise God and they think you're a weirdo until they come down and get touched by the righteousness of God. Then all of a sudden they're like, I got to praise be to Jesus. They got that new Christian smell on them. You, You can't convince them that they ought not to be you can't convince them to not surrender. You can't convince them to not be faithful. They have to be in there. They're, they're, they're excited to be in there. It's deeper than a superficial touch. Look at Romans 3:21 through23. Look at this verse, "But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Get this, The righteousness of God outside of the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets itself witnessed of a day where the law would no longer be the course in which a man becomes righteous. You are not righteous because you follow the Levitical pattern of of sacrifices. Jesus became your Levitical pattern of sacrifice. He's the one who took the place of the lamb or the dove. He's the one who paid that price. Even the righteousness of God. Look at that, the righteousness of who? God, not man. It's not man's righteousness. It's not what man says is righteous, but it's God's righteousness through faith. Oh, that's, we, we we need to stop. Through faith. Through faith. Is there any faith believers in the house? Anybody who knows it's impossible to please him unless you have faith? Is anybody in this house know what it means to be a faithful person unto God? Anybody in this house know what it's like to say, I believe even though I don't understand, even though I can't see, even though I've never touched, i am holding on to something this morning. I've got faith. I've got faith. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know He lives through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are never going to be righteous unless you come through Jesus. Righteousness is through Christ alone to all and on all who believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's only one way to get back into the glory of God. There's only one way to put on the breastplate of righteousness and that is by coming to Jesus and asking him to forgive you of your sins. Listen Christian, Christ did the heavy lifting. He made it easy for you. He made it easy for you. You don't have to go back to the Levitical law and bring sacrifices, and he—he became all that. You don't have to go to a high priest and go him going into the holies of holies once a year to pay atonement for sin. You don't have to come and continually continually bring it back and forth back and forth continually bringing sacrifices on a on a on a weekly and a and a yearly schedule. You don't have to do that. There's one sacrifice. One sacrifice. God built himself an altar on a hill called Golgotha. He stretched His Son out above between heaven and earth and pinned Him to a cross. And on that cross, Paul said, He has has taken away the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. He has nailed our sins to that cross. Yes, He deserves praise for that. He deserves more than just a hand clap. He deserves a shout of praise in this house. He deserves a house. Oh shit! to the cross and on the cross every sin of humanity I want you to catch this every sin humanity could commit was bore on that cross how strong is my savior I'll tell you how strong he is my sin and your sin and all sin throughout humanity was on his shoulders he is a strong savior that's why the bible said he is able to save them to the uttermost Oh, he did the heavy lifting. He bore it. He took hold of it. And sin was nailed to the cross. But not only was it nailed to the cross, but the Savior bore it. God turned his face from his own son. And on the cross of Calvary, God Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God even had to turn his back on his son at that moment. And Jesus gave up his spirit, died on on that cross but they put him they put him in a borrowed tomb and it had to be borrowed because he didn't plan on staying too long he had a three day visit he was only there in the hotel of the borrowed tomb for a little while he didn't have to get a residence. He didn't have to stake claim. He didn't. He didn't buy property. No, he didn't need it that long. It just a borrowed tomb. He laid in there for three days, and on Sunday morning, the mighty Savior that you and I love and adore, he got up out of that grave. He no longer dead anymore. He didn't just get up without anything. The Bible said he has the keys of death hell and the grave this morning and that's how righteousness comes to you and I, it is through Jesus Christ oh you can never do spiritual warfare unless you're righteous my dear friend, you can never be able to fight against unrighteousness unless you've been changed by the righteousness of God Many people try to fight the devil without God on their side, and it is, a, it is a hopeless, hopeless fight. You can never beat the devil at his ungodly games without the righteousness of God. The devil said, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, I want to be on the devil's hit list, don't you? I want to be known in hell as someone who creates problems. I want to be known by the devil to be somebody who doesn't put up with his junk. And the only way you get there my dear friend is by the righteousness of God being imputed into your life given over to you. Christ did it. He's the one who lifted lifted ourselves out of the pit. He's the one who we couldn't lift ourselves out of the pit, but get this, Christ lifted up the whole pit. Oh man. Christ lifted up the whole pit. Now, imputed righteousness is God-given righteousness, but I also want to talk to you about imparted righteousness because there's, there's, there is the gift of righteousness given to you, but then there's a righteousness not only in you, but it's a righteousness on you too. Because today in the world we live, there's a confusion about serving God. Today we, we emphasize God's love. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm in love with the love of God. I'm glad He loves me this morning. The Bible said God is love. Amen? And I'm thankful for that. So I'm not diminishing the love of God. But I see a problem that the emphasis has become the love of God and not the love we should have for God. We need to focus on our end of the relationship. I'm thankful that my wife loves me, but it'd be a shame if I didn't return the love. It wouldn't wouldn't be reciprocated, and God's looking for a reciprocated love. He's looking for you and I to not just focus on His love, but what about your love? And righteousness, when it comes in you, will cause you to love God differently than you loved Him before. And because we have in our generation of people who are not regenerated, who are not changed, who are not new creatures in Christ Jesus, we have adopted a doctrine of of easy believism and say, if you just make some commitments or sign a church membership card, then you're saved and therefore you can live how you want, act how you want, as long as you give in the offering every now and then, we'll let it go. We won't say nothing about it. But listen, Christian, God has called you to a place of righteousness he not only did he put righteousness in you now he wants you to live a life that is set apart amen he wants you to be the creature that he created inside of you he wants you to be that changed person. He don't want you to live ungodly anymore. He, you to, the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go anymore. The things I used to smoke, I don't smoke anymore. The things I used to shoot up, I don't shoot up anymore. And the things I used to drink, I don't drink anymore. I've, I've been changed. And that's righteousness on you as well as in you. That's righteousness lived out in everyday life. We need. I like what Vance Havner said. He said, we need more Christian Christians. And what he meant by that is he said the word Christian is both a noun and an adjective. We need people to be the representation of Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. If you can't see Jesus doing it, neither should you. I'm going to go out on a limb. It may break on me, but I'm going to do it. We have today this whole new idea of Christian tattoos putting crosses on their arms and nothing's wrong with tattoos. Have you ever been to a tattoo parlor? Well, glad you haven't, sis. Let me just tell you that they're not very godly. Let me just say this, the Bible says in the Old Testament. Not to print on the body. That word print literally means ink the body. That's what it means. Or make markings for the dead on your body. Literally, the Bible literally says that. Now, some have tried to say that's the law. We're in a new faith. We don't have to abide by that. We don't have to. That's fine. But let me ask you this. Could you see Jesus sitting in a tattoo chair saying, hey, would you put a cross right here for me? I just want a cross right there on my shoulder. You know, I put over here, Father Holy Ghost. Can you do that right there on this one? Father, Holy Ghost. I want to put that right. I could never see my Savior sitting in a tattoo parlor asking for a tattoo. You want to know why? Because he's the most perfect person ever created. He don't need any of that. And if he don't need it, then why in the world would I think that I need it? Christian, I'm not trying to cause any problems, but I'm definitely trying to inspire a right way of living. I'm talking about a imparted righteousness where Christians walk like Christians and they talk like Christians and they act like Christians and they get along with other Christians and they are willing to do what is necessary to serve God right. Amen. Righteousness that is understood this is righteousness that is understood by submitting to God. By submitting to God, we are not righteous because we come to church, but righteous people come to church. Amen. We can't get the cart in front of the horse. I'm glad you're here. If you're not saved, get saved. You'll understand what this is all about. You'll understand why we praise and act the way we do. You're probably sitting back there going, I don't, there's something about all this that I don't quite grab, but I'm very intrigued because these, these people are weird. But that's a good thing. What you're attracted to is the Jesus Christ in those who have surrendered their heart to Christ and the righteousness that is on them is a reflection of the glory of God. And something about them attracts you because you are in need of that same thing. And righteousness is understood by submitting to God. We submit our heart to God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Well, wait a second. What's the pattern of resisting the devil? Submitting to God. How how is righteousness effective in spiritual warfare? Submitting to God. Submitting to God. Submit yourself to God and righteousness will be a part of your life. The work of the Holy Spirit is crucial in this process. Listen. Jesus said it's expedient for you and I that I go away. It is the Holy Spirit who guides us. Who speaks to us concerning God's ways. He reimparts re- imparts the image of God back into our life. He's the one who puts Christ and makes Him the focus. Jesus said He will not speak of Himself. He will speak of me. He will remind you of me. Have you ever been in the wrong place and the Holy Spirit reminds you? Have you ever done the wrong thing and the Holy Spirit reminds you? Have you ever been about to do the wrong thing and the Holy Spirit reminds you? Because the Holy Spirit is a massive part in imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. He's the one who teaches us the ways of Christ. Today we don't want to learn how to walk like Jesus. We want to learn how good it is to serve Jesus. How how easy it is to serve Jesus. But Christian, we need to hear more more messages in our country about how to properly serve the Lord. And how to properly represent the Lord. We need to be representations of Jesus Christ. That's what the word imparted righteousness means. No one can produce the image of God in you except the Spirit of God. I want you to know that. Nobody can produce in you the image of God except the Spirit of God. You can't do it, but the Spirit of God imparts it into you. He makes you want to be like Jesus. You remember? Christian, can you remember back when you got saved? How everything changed? How your heart and life was just brand new? I mean, everything was different. Going to church was different. Man, when I wasn't saved, you had to drag me to church. Had to drag me. I didn't want to go. Grandma had to force me to go. And then she'd slap me when I was trying to bow my head asleep in the corner of the church. Slap the one asleep in the corner of the church, and she would, she would, she would get me and say, "You pay attention, young man. You need to hear what that... And she would, and then she'd act crazy. I would lay under the pews because church would go real late at night. You know, and they they didn't know how to stop church back then. They they had church all the time. I guess the preacher didn't know how to do a good closing. You get picking on me about my closing, brother Chuck. They never closed back then. I mean they dance their bobby pins out. I've seen grandma just I mean go crazy. And she would do like a chicken thing, you know, just wow. Ah! I mean and 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 her arm, remember, remember, remember Aunt Terry, her arm just go like this, like this. She'd just sway it and sometimes she'd follow it, and sometimes she'd follow it this way, and, and she'd be dancing and she go, oh thank you, oh yeah, hallelujah. And the Holy Ghost all over her. And I would think this woman has lost her mind. But I looked at that and something about it in my spirit said, I am attracted to this. I'm attracted to this. And you know what it did to me? The righteousness that was on her began to move in me. Began to affect my life. I saw a real Christian. That is the most powerful thing that this world can ever see. Is a real Christian. They got plenty of the fakies. They got plenty of the wishy-washers. They got plenty of the half-hearteds. But the real ones, the real ones, they're an attracted people. Paul said, we are epistles read of all men. They're reading your life. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates in us that image of Christ Jesus. Do you you remember how crazy you were? You remember how in love with Jesus you were? He's the one who created that desire in you. The desires that you never thought you'd ever have, you have now, and the desires that you never thought you could get rid of, you didn't want anymore. That's the Spirit of God who creates that inside your heart. If you haven't had that happen to you, my dear friend, I, am, I implore you to get in the altars this morning, and don't get up until you know it. It's been made right don't care if we if I go into the second service pray right through it until you get up and you know that righteousness has been put in you and now you have a desire to live that righteous life that righteous life because you can never fight the devil unless you've been you have the breastplate of righteousness now let me talk this last part Righteousness as our breastplate. Let me just talk about this because the breastplate is an important part of our battle armor. It's important because it covers every vital area on our body. The breastplate protects all the organs that would easily... Cause death or instant death in our life it protects the heart it protects the lungs it protects all of the organs and in, in, in your body that that the enemy would target to try to bring you and kill you but if you have the righteousness of God upon you and you have him in your heart and life the enemy cannot destroy you because God has healed you But if you try to fight the devil without the righteousness of God, you are exposed because in the exposure you're still naked, you're still shameful, you're still caught up in sin, you're still filthy rags in the eyes of God and and the devil knows that you're no match for him and so he can easily destroy you and bring you down. But if you have God's righteousness on you, then you are protected from the enemy. Do you realize that you are a light on that on the the hill that is not here. Do you know you're the salt of the earth, Jesus said. Do you realize how vital it is that God has put his righteousness inside of you, a reflection of Jesus Christ? Just like Adam reflected God, you and I are to reflect Jesus. We're to reflect Jesus so everyone sees Christ inside of us. Everyone sees Christ. That breastplate of righteousness is not made just so you can say I have a little shiny thing on you go look I got my righteousness on this morning. No, it's a weapon. It's a weapon in our arsenal. It's a guarding weapon, a defensive weapon because I guarantee you the enemy is going to try to penetrate your armor. He's going to try to penetrate your armor with your past. This is where the righteousness of Christ comes in, dear friend. And many Christians today are struggling in their mind and their heart with does God still love me, does God still want me, knowing where I come from, knowing what I've done, knowing how bad I've been, knowing the sin of my heart and life. Does he still love me? Yes, he does still love you. And yes, he does still forgive you. But many people struggle with this. That is why they must have faith in Christ Jesus to know that their righteousness is not from themselves. Because if you were righteous, then Christ died in vain. Chame. But Christ did not die in vain. He died taking your sin. You are not righteous because of you. So when the devil brings up your past and begins to remind you of all the horrible things you've done. All the bad sins you've committed. Remind him of whose righteousness you're wearing. Remind him of whose banner you march under. Remind him that he's Jehovah Nissi. And you march under the banner of God. And you're not marching on your orders or by your merit or by your righteousness, you are not holy by yourself, but you're marching because God has declared you righteous. The enemy will try to make you feel horrible, but you're not, you need to realize that Jesus was the one who made you feel right. When he tries to make you feel bad, you need to remember that God made you right. You have to remember that, that you're not righteous by yourself. Christ has made you righteous. This gives the believers spiritual confidence. Oh, Christian, how we need confidence again in Christ. I am confident, confident in Christ, Paul said. I'm confident in him. We need a confidence that says, I am not going to be moved. We need a confidence that says, I will not surrender or give up a confidence that says, "Devil, you can bring it on, but I'm going to still be here when it's over." You that kind of confidence, Christian? Have you come to a place where you are confident that you in, in whom you have believed? I, Paul said, "I am persuaded in whom I have believed. I am persuaded in Him." How are you persuaded? Are you fully persuaded this morning in whom you have believed in? Are you persuaded that God is able? Do you believe that the the Bible said that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ever ask or even think? Are are you fully confident and persuaded in Christ? We need a confidence so that we can do the work of God. How can a person who is not persuaded in God share a faith to someone who needs to be persuaded in God? How can a person be effective for Christ unless there's a confidence that is coursing through his life? And this confidence is not self-confidence. It's, it's dependent confidence. It's confidence in Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus and by Christ Jesus. It's not confidence in yourself, by yourself, through anything you have done, but in the Lord. Christian, you need that kind of confidence. And the only way you can receive that kind of confidence is through, the, is through Christ Jesus. Confidence that knows I belong to God. Confidence that knows Jesus is everything you need.